Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, how are you gentlemen? Very well. Very well, thanks Tom. Episode 126, Troy, and they said we wouldn't make it. That's exactly right. Who said they wouldn't we make it? We said it in our own selves. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't think we'd be here. And look at this. Amazing. So, Troy, uh, thank you so much. So, it is, it is podcast 126, Troy. 126. We are That's 126. Very cool. That's right. very cool. Okay. Um, so, I love this podcast today that we're going to do. Because now, that's 52 weeks a year. Does that mean we've been going... Two years, or my my math as bad as it was when I did. Yeah, we have a little bit of a break, but we're we're just about to tick over two years. Two years. Yeah. My God, life goes fast, man. Actually, don't get me off the topic now, because I'm actually you just made me think about something. Um, I know you didn't do good at school. It's it's common knowledge across the real estate industry. You weren't you 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 weren't a scholar. Would it be fair to say I was a lazy student? Okay, but I'm, I'm curious. Were you were you better at maths or English? Are you good at maths? Uh, look, I'm really good at, at tables, all right? right? Someone says, what's 8 times 6? What's 12 times 12? Well, so for some reason, I can little simple numbers I'm really fast at. But, you know, like when they started bringing in like trigonometry <laughs> and, and uh, all these theorems and things, and I thought, I just couldn't relate to it. To be honest, uh, look, I don't think I was very good at it, but I thought, why would I ever need to know this stuff? And if I can't connect to what I'm learning and I'm going to have some practical application. Because interestingly, soon after I got into obviously real estate and then at tech and I was the number one student at tech because every night I'd go in there and they'd be talking about things that I knew that I could do tomorrow. So talking about contracts and talking about law and, and all these sort of real estate concepts that I was really fascinated in so I studied hard and I like a sponge so I went from being a very poor academic student in the school system to being a really good um, TAFE uh, real estate student so it's funny I think it's all about what are you fascinated in? What do you love? What are you passionate about? And once you find that out, and hopefully all our listeners have found that real estate's it, um, that's very, very exciting. John, on that point, it reminds me, um, I remember having a conversation, you know in year 12 when you're, you're, you're completing where you want to apply to study? Yes. There. I, I'll never forget my school careers counsellor said to me, make sure you pick something you love. Mm. And she said, the reason why is when you pick something you love, you work long hours at it. And when you work long hours at it, you get a lot of practice. And mm. when you get a lot of practice, you And it doesn't feel like work, work, right? Correct, it's effortless. So hopefully everyone that's looking at this has made passion their paycheck and real estate feels effortless when, when you love it. So I wanna drill- This should be pretty easy, right? Because at the end of the day, um, we are doing a something that I think is inherently interesting. You know, houses, people that aren't in real estate love houses and they talk about houses and what properties did you see and my neighbour sold for this. So it kind of feels like it's an interesting topic to be in the centre of. And the second thing is, you know, at a more altruistic and I think far deeper and more important, you're actually helping people at a difficult and or exciting time of their lives. And so when you combine the two, that it's something interesting. I always thought, you know, what if I sold air conditioning units or something yeah. like no disrespect to people that do, but if I was doing something that I couldn't couldn't imagine it making a major difference and it was not something I was particularly passionate about, I, I couldn't quite, you know, see myself, you know, uh, perhaps of, you know, achieving the same results as I've, chose, as I've achieved in, in a profession, as we all achieved, in a profession that we really love. So, okay. Is it okay if we press the rewind button, John, and... and uh, Pretend I'm doing one of my uh, attraction agent interviews with you 20 years ago. 
25 years ago. So, yeah, well, when I started, let's go back even, are we talking about like when so I So let's really talk started? about three years into your real estate life. How long ago was that? 30 years ago. 30 years ago. So let's pretend that um, I'm sitting there doing a video interview with you, but this, mm. the audio is the same. And I was asking you the questions I asked people, like I was asking um, Wayne Vaughan last week. Mm. I do all these interviews. John, um, if I was asking you 27 years ago, mm. why did people list with you? Um, okay, so the first couple of years, of course, experience and track record is not something you can call upon. So I think what people liked about me then, well, certainly, certainly I had product knowledge that I think rivaled my far more experienced competitors. I think we've spoken about that before. So I swatted up on real estate. I knew every sale price, every you know dollar per square foot, you know what each street brought, what things were on the market for. I'd been to every of my competitors open. So. And, I, and you weren't sitting on realestate.com to get that information, no, were you? No, no. You, know, you had to get up and go to councils and, and you know, sort of pay for uh, traditional paper-based searches and those sort of things and, and go and look at properties. You couldn't look at them online then. So I think certainly product knowledge was something that, that was not a detractor. I'm not saying it was miles ahead of the rest because I was, had some great, great competitors, but it was certainly not something, because a lot of people, it's funny, I was coaching one of our guys yesterday, Troy, from, from our own team, and she's going to be a, a superstar. But I said to her, what's your product knowledge like? And, and I said, zero to ten, ten being best on planet. And she said, oh, it's a four or five. I said, you need to work on that fast. Because I said, I can understand lack of experience. I can't understand lack of product knowledge, because that means you're not working hard enough to achieve it. You know, I said it in a loving way, because she's a, she's a brilliant Young, uh, young person. So I think num- that'd be number one. Two, they would, have, they would have picked up that I certainly worked hard because I would have been the first call of the day and the last call of the day to them. So if I saw you at eight o'clock last night about a listing and if I didn't sign it up and you hadn't signed anyone else, I'd be on the phone next morning at quarter to eight in the morning following up on that, just checking if they had any questions. I'd thought about it overnight. I was adding some value. So it wasn't just about me trying to get a listing, it was about me trying to help you solve a problem. I would say that um, you know, they were some of the things, I think that my energy... So product knowledge, yeah, yeah product knowledge the competition, you outwork work, the competition. And energy. I, I Out-energise the competition. I, I think that I was more enthusiastic. Now, of course, Tom, as you and I and Troy have said over the many of these 126 podcasts, that people don't make the decision to hire you when they call you in for a listing. They've probably almost made up their mind when they met you in the field because no one goes from, I think we might sell. Let's get, let's get three agents in today. If we are starting to think to sell, let's go to some opens, let's attend some auctions, we'll open the local paper, we'll go to REA, et cetera, et cetera. So I think when people met me under the guise of potentially a buyer or just a local resident looking at it, they were always impressed that I would you know, be, be uh, polite with them, I would give them information, I was well organised, I was enthusiastic. You know, in the main, I would generally remember their names and things because I made a study of that because I knew it was important for people to remember to give them a sense of, you know, importance and connection. So I think that in that journey, I I don't think there was anything I said or did that was particularly dynamic in the 60-minute listing presentation, although I'm sure I wasn't probably any worse than anyone else. But I think it was all the stuff that I would have done leading up to that that people would have said, well, you know, like, I know it's a bit of a risk because he's a young guy and he's, you know, 20 or 21 and he's... But, you know, I want to back him. And I had a lot of people say words to that effect. You know, I want to back him because he's hungry and he's keen and he seems to be working with a lot of buyers and he's, you know, when we were looking to buy, he was the agent that used to call us back. Because one of my strategies, and again, I'm sure I've said it, Tommy, on this show, was, you know, like, 
if I met you as a buyer, you'd hear from me twice a week until you bought. Full stop. I'm just John. If if we were asking vendors or buyers back then what they if they if we were going to come up with if we said what are three things that describe John McGrath and this is a very broad based question, what would be the typical answers people would say? Probably some of them are those things. They'd say he's a hard worker. Uh, they would have said um, uh, he he's got high passion around service. Very. I mean, I've always had, a, and I don't know where it came from, but. In my, in my DNA, I was born with this desire to serve people and I love helping people and I get self-satisfaction out of helping people. They would say he was highly organised. They would say he followed us through when most of the other people didn't. Most of the others would ring us three or four times and then get bored of us. He'd ring us 30 or 40 times until we bought. Um, they would say he was generous in his advice, that he didn't just tell us things that would make his listings stand out and look better. Sometimes they'd be saying, look, you know, I can buy this property, John, you've got it. Back in those days, 100,000. I've got this one across the road, so it's another 12,000, but I kind of like it more. And I'd often say, Tom, to be really honest with you, if I could buy that for 12,000 more than my listing, I'd sign the contract today because that's got real lane access, it's got a studio out the back, it's on the north-facing side of Paddington Street, etc., etc. And people say, wow, okay, so you're telling me I should buy that. And equally, they'd ring me up and often say, well, I've been on the market with XYZ Real Estate and I've got an offer, but I'm really not happy with it and I want to talk to you. I'd say, if I were you, I, I would take that offer. Mm. And people would say, wow, you're telling me to take the offer, so you don't want to talk to me. No, I'm happy to talk to you, but if, if, if I had that offer, or I would be telling you to take the offer, I think it's a very good offer. So I think it's that kind of commitment to integrity Interest in the customer way ahead of your own interest. See, one of the things that I often see, Troy, is people have self-interest ahead of their interest of others. So, they, you know, it's all about, you know, I want to earn a commission check, I want to get that listing. So they put their own interest ahead of their colleagues, ahead of their customers, ahead of their clients, which is all insanity. Because in the long run, you get, you lose pace. So if you put, you know, the, the other people's interests ahead of yours, you'll always end up ahead. How, so, hard, how hard is it? I mean, it's still a common thing that we hear 25, 26, 28 years down the line from customers is agents never call them. How hard was it for you back then without the internet, without a CMS, without... Mobile phones originally. Mobile phones originally. Why, uh, why? Look, I didn't see it as hard. I guess I look at it now and I'd say it is easier today. But back then, you, all you had was what you had. And I just organised my day and I sat at my desk and I just like went through my calls and I had all my three by five buyer cards and I took them out. Like nowadays people hit a button on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Nowadays I just pull them out and I'd ring, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Panos just following up, you know, I know you look at those properties, how did you go? What? And I'd just write little notes on them and then I'd kind of put them back. So that was, for me, that was just like what I did. And I thought, wow, even today I think, our job's not hard. You need to be organised, you need to be energised, you, you know, you need to work hard, you need to be able to deal with disappointment, all those things. But seriously, you think of the thousands of professions that are obvious ones to us, all around us here, in this great country of Australia and the world, a lot of them are hard. And you know, I refer to, with total respect, but digging ditches in the sun in Queensland would be a really hard job, right? Mm. I don't think I'd bounce out of bed and couldn't wait to get there personally, mm. and I, I hope they do, but... I would see that as hard. I would see as you know, working in a laundromat in a little kind of you know three by four room every day that's, that's humid and there's no great interaction or, or intellectual um, challenge for yourself, I would probably find that very hard. I found real estate, meeting clients, looking at beautiful properties, um, competing, you know, the hunt, because Troy, I know you're an elite athlete, um, 
the, the excitement of competition is, is awesome. And I've just found, you know, from my old football and athletics days, you know, this was like a new style of, of athletics or football. This was like, you know, chasing the listing and trying to win it and all those sort of things. So I, used to, I, I don't find it hard in our industry, and I never did. I never found it hard. John, if, can you recall what your typical days looked like back then? I mean, yeah, so first pattern? thing was weeks. So I divided my weeks into listing days and selling days. And 90% I stuck to it, unless there was an extreme reason not to. So I had you know, days of the week, and they were Tuesdays and Thursdays that I would do listings. And pretty much all day, from 10, 30, 11 a.m. onwards until I went home that night, I would be back-to-back listing appointments. Um, so that, that was kind of allowed me time to get in the zone and the headspace of today's a listing day, today's a listing so day. So you chunked activities. Chunked basically. activities, yeah. And, and then Monday to me was all-day callbacks. So I'd meet, you know, invariably I'd had six to eight uh, opens at least on a, on a weekend and or auctions. So everyone I met would, would hear from me and that, was that, then, that really fired up my whole week because 20, 30% of them were thinking of selling. So that were my Tuesday and Thursdays. And then most of the others, up to 90%, were then thinking of buying. And if the property I was showing them didn't suit, on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays, I'd be showing them other properties. With buy- John, did you take buyer appointments during the week? Would you make appointments with buyers? Awesome buyer appointments. I, I found I had such a better hit rate. And I love open for inspections, by the way. I think they're great and would be doing them in spades today if I was out selling on a Saturday or a Wednesday. But I did find I had a much stronger success rate when I was one-on-one with people. So I'd say, Tom, um, let me come and pick you up. So again, it's all about service. You know, I know you live in 104 Paddington Street. Let me come and pick you up next Tuesday. Let's go and look at four or five things that I've got on the market, a couple that have been advertised and went with courier. So you would go to people's houses and pick up the buyers? 100%. Pick them up, shake the things. I say, look, I've got a couple of things, you know, that that are called off-market listings, which are clients that don't want to be in the local Wentworth Courier. So I'll take you to those. And then if you've got time, I'd love to take you for a coffee because that was my ritual. I'd then take them down. It was often Zigolini's in uh, Queen Street, 105 Queen Street, Wallara those days. And I'd take them down, then I'd get a debrief. If they had time, if they didn't, I'd drop them home. And, and then I'd take them through and say, okay, so let's walk through. You know, what was the feedback? What did you like? What didn't you like? Do you want to make an offer on this one? And, and I'd go through that. So they got service. I think nowadays one of the downsides of open for inspection and even to a degree the internet is, is because it's a degree of self-serve, a lot of agents think, well, the buyers don't need service. They'll turn up to the open when I advertise it and they'll look at it on the website. When, People, this is a big decision. So you've got to sit down and say, you know, Tom, you and Sula, I'd love to come over to your place and discuss the options available. You're obviously weighing up between a couple of properties. Let's go through them. Let's look at the benefits of each one, pros and cons, and let's see if I can help you make that decision. And because no one was doing that, this is kind of back to the first question around why do people list, because I was doing that every day, people were saying, well, that's an experience I'm not getting elsewhere. So um, that was important for me. So Wednesday, Friday, Saturday was open for inspection and or buyer appointments privately. And then, of course, auctions were often a Saturday afternoon were my auction days. It's interesting. We're starting to see a little bit of a trend in pockets in the inner city CBDs of Sydney. Um, Off-market sales are becoming like now getting back to the days of picking up a buyer and servicing them. You're starting to see four to five properties that are being sold and you're getting notifications that are off market. Well, now they're going digitally, aren't they? Because Breswick Whitney's been a great trailblazer in this. exactly right. You sign up and you get their off market. In the old days, true, it was kind of like what they call bottom drawer listings, were things that, you know, the client didn't really want to advertise and went with courier, didn't want a signboard out the front. Nowadays, there's kind of these exotic 
off market, which I think are interesting, an uh, interesting uh, option. Well, I think a lot of real estate agents use uh, the off-market strategy as a way to build their database because they suggest to people, do you want to be part of our VIP sneak preview list that gets information before they go to the broader market? And there's no doubt, Tom, that there's a lot of people that want to, want to go for sale but don't want the board out the front, may not want to spend 10000 on marketing, the whole different reasons, but they do want to sell. Um, so I think that off-market listings, be them digital or not, or just things that you're aware of, and obviously you need to get an agency agreement, a contract to make sure it's all good, clean business. But if you get those things, I think it's repertoire. I mean, there's no doubt we come across agents, I think all of us in our travels, that um, s some of them are really great at properties that list with marketing and open for inspection and auction, and they, they get fired up. Then someone says, well, look, Tom, I'm not sure I want to go through that process, or not yet anyway, but it's there. My solicitor's doing a contract. I'm happy for you to bring buyers through it. They kind of like ignore it. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's because they think the vendor's not serious, or I don't know whether that's because they just want the easy mechanism. Mm. They get fired up. They might get a listing and the vendor says, well, it's there if you want it. I think you've got to chase all business. Yeah. I mean, assuming it's the vendor is motivated, because yeah. you can have motivated people that don't want to have it in the local paper this week, yeah. or open next Saturday. So I don't think you need to jump to the conclusion that if they don't want to put a big board out the front and out on REA, I don't think that you can jump to the conclusion they're not motivated. Yeah. Uh, Talking of REA, our sponsors. Yeah, <laughs> REA and... Um... We need to do a little jingle, I reckon. I've been listening to this great uh, startup podcast, Troy. I've told you about yeah, You were listening at the same yeah. time, funnily enough. And I sent it to you, Tommy. I don't know if you had a chance yes, yet, but I have a listen to it. And they have these kind of like really cool little jingly ads and stuff. And I think, you know, that's like professional. I know we're amateurs at this, but... Hang on a sec. Can <laughs> <laughs> you tell All me right. there is some music at the beginning of the end, isn't there? There, there is. Tom, he doesn't listen. <laughs> I, can't, I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> no, I hate the sound of my own voice. No, I can't listen. John, so there, we'll there, there is, John, there is music at the start. There is music at the finish. Um, no, we don't have a sound engineer, but we were able to get someone to actually put things at the start and end. Oh. And we do want to thank our, our sponsor, realestate.com.au, who've been uh, with us. Um, all of last Australia's year. Australia's leading all and the new ad campaign is out. And it's good. hopefully it's very cool. But oh, the, the one on TV is awesome. We bought a two hour. We oh, Shih Tzu. Shih Tzu. Yeah. We bought a Shih Tzu. But Have just even that? the one that says two times our closest competitor. There are not many businesses, big businesses, that can say we have twice the sales or revenue. Or I think in REA it's page views and traffic. Yep. Twice of our nearest competitor. That's a pretty dominant. I think that's... Applause for REA and the gang there, yeah, Tracy and Andrew yeah. and many others that they've done a, and and uh, REA was a sort of organisation like any organisation that is very strong and powerful. It does get um, certain people that aren't happy with, with the power it's yielded. But over the last few years, particularly with the appointment of Tracy, Tracy, we have seen the sentiment from the real estate industry to REA change. Obviously, um, you know, people still have various paranoias about disintermediation. They obviously, any time that you write a check every month, um, you, you think about the value that you're getting, but we have seen a shift in market sentiment. But Tommy, the interesting um, thing, a few, just anecdotally, maybe four years ago I went to a real estate institute in New South Wales. In fact, I think you were there. Yeah. It was down near Central Railway. It was Correct. like a think tank day. And I remember I thought, okay, well, this is good. I've got this captive audience of agents just mingling before, guys that are 
And REA was kind of, you know, obviously a big thing on people's agenda because it was, you know, a dominant way of selling property. And I remember saying to them, you know, just as a director from REA, what's your experience like? And they said, REA, we hate them, but we can't live without them. Mm. And I took that back to the board and I said, guys, this is a dangerous position to be in. Mm. Now, of course, I agree with you. Any, anyone that charges you money and you pay bills to in a lot of the times is not that love affair that you get elsewhere. But, and uh, I think the board and the senior management took it on board soon after we got Tracy as the CEO. And I think if I went back, in fact, I know, if I went back to that same group now and I said, what do you think about REA? They'd say, totally different company. Mm. They care about the industry. They're interested in us. They listen to our gripes or our suggestions. And so I think it's great. So, you know, it's a good lesson, not forget about REA and, and real estate advertising. It's a good lesson for business people that an individual with the right team and the right values and culture can turn the mind of an industry or, or a customer base very quickly yeah. with a new energy. Because you think about it, REA, even back in those days, they probably had 90, 95% of the agents were on them. Yeah. And I would say of that, of that group, 90 to 95% didn't think terribly yeah. positive things about them. Yeah. And nowadays, I think it's really turned around. So there, I'll just give a, a small mention. They have got an awards program that yep. begins um, this year in October. They're doing um, um, uh, awards. I haven't got the exact brand name. I think um, Aria. Or Aria, yeah, yeah, Aria awards. So look out for that. There's going to be a lot of uh, um, a press conference stuff, information sent out to you. Good to see you guys. We'll see you next week for 127. 127. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys.